Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Today, Kyle Malmstrom is behind the microphone and he's got a return guest, Chuck Levin. Kyle, how are you? Doing great, Eric. Thanks for having us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I mean, you're the boss here, uh, you know, and, and you brought Chuck back on the show. Can you remind the audience who Chuck is and what he does? Yeah, super excited to have Chuck. Thanks for joining us, Chuck. Uh, Chuck is a tax and business attorney with Levin Goodman and Cohen out of Chicago, Illinois. Started their firm about 35 years ago. They just had their anniversary. So congratulations, Chuck. How are you doing today, Chuck? Thank you. I'm doing fine. It's good to be here, Kyle. Perfect. Well, today we're going to be talking about pass-through entities, and I have none other than one of the premier experts in the country, so super happy to have you here. Uh, Chuck, why don't you give everybody, the listening audience, just a little bit of background uh, of the firm and what you do, uh, and perhaps touch upon the tax form and the fundamentals of pass-through entities course that you've been teaching for a long, long time. A long time. Oh, I consider it new, but it is, we are in year 37 on the course, uh, so again, as I said, Kyle, thank you very much. I really appreciate the, the ability to talk to all the folks out there. I almost feel like I can see them, although I, although I can't. Uh, and um, as you said, Levin, Goodman & Cohen's been around for 35 years. We're a business and tax firm. We do a lot of estate planning, a lot of corporate work, a lot of tax consulting. Uh, we probably have done work for or doing work for somewhere between a Hundred and fifty and two hundred accounting and law firms across the country, often where they're tax arm. We have a lot of fun doing that, and a lot of this came from the fact that we created this program, a tax planning forum, uh, back in late nineteen eighty seven. You know, back when I was in grammar school, and if you believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. And this program is basically for professionals. There's two courses. There's a tax planning forum, a very uh, comprehensive course dealing with flow through entities. And we also cover some C corporations and 1202, which I'll discuss in just a minute and things along those lines. And then we have the fundamental course, which is not an easy course, but it's, it's the fundamental principles of, of flow through planning with S corps and LLCs and partnerships. And uh, we love doing this. We do it uh, virtually and we do it in person in a couple good spots. And uh, uh, we have a lot of fun with this. Uh, our fundamental course, by the way, probably spends almost two days covering the issues we're going to be covering today and gets in real depth. So we don't have that kind of time today, but hopefully I'll put on the table uh, a lot of interesting points for you folks. And uh, I think at the end of the show, uh, Kyle's going to let everyone know where they can get a hold of me if they want to. And also there'll be some handout materials I'll describe later, which if you like to get them, I'm more than happy to give them to you. So anyway, on with the show, Kyle. Thanks, Chuck, for laying the groundwork there. As you can see, Chuck and his firm are a wealth of knowledge, and we're happy to have him here today. So today, we're going to, as Chuck mentioned, talk a little bit about pass-through entities, it being that is uh, a core strength of their firm and what they focus on. And we're going to be, you know, there's a lot of planning considerations and a lot of our uh, a lot of our clients are business owners, and so we often get questions about, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, and Z. How should I set that up?" Or, "Hey, I'm thinking about changing the firm in you know this direction. What 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 do I need to know about?" And so, Chuck's here to help us guide through some of those considerations. So, I think from a starting standpoint, Chuck, 
When we talk about pass-through entities, what are we talking about? So we can give the audience a little context of how the conversation is going to go here. Yeah. Uh, well, pass-through entities, various types of pass-through entities. You've got uh, traditionally, you've got partnerships or pass-through entities. You've got general partnerships. You've got limited partnerships. Uh, then you have the, the newer guy on, on the block, although new is you know, 30 years or so, which are LLCs, limited liability companies. Then you've got S-corporations. Those are corporations that have made an S-election. And S-corporations, like partnerships and LLCs, are flow-through entities, meaning that there's no tax, at least in most cases, uh, on the entity itself, the tax is the responsibility of the income tax is the responsibility of the owners, as it is in general partnerships, limited partnerships, and LLCs. And then, of course, you've got C-Corps, which are not flow-through entities, but there's a little bit more interest in C-Corps these days because of Section 1202, which I'll get into briefly uh, a little later on in, in the program here. So, But one of, the, one of the key things here to take away, even before we get into tax, is if you're running a business, you always want to have your business wrapped. That's what we call it. We call these these entities sort of wrappers. You don't want to have personal your your personal assets exposed to the risks of your business. So if you're running a business, and probably all of you know this already, but it's it's good to just get this on the table. Uh, if you're a sole proprietor, for instance, you don't want to be a sole proprietor in the name of Sam Smith or Sally Smith. You want to wrap that, for instance, in a single member LLC. Very, very important concept. And in addition, we're talking about tax here a lot. But one of the most important things if you're in a business and you have a partner or a co-shareholder is that you have either a shareholder's agreement or you have a LLC operating agreement, which gets into the economics and mechanism for running your business. Who makes the decisions? What happens if someone leaves the business? Uh, what happens if someone dies? What happens if someone becomes disabled? What happens if there's a disagreement? How do you resolve these things? These are the things that are covered in the LLC's operating agreement, the partnership's partnership agreement, uh, or the corporation's shareholders agreement. And it's important to get this stuff worked out up front when everyone still loves everybody before there's a spitting contest going on. So uh, this is one of the things I have at the end. We'll, we, uh, Kyle will let you know how you got a hold of me, but we have a memo that we did. I've had it for many years, actually two memos. One that gets into the key things you ought to be thinking about if you're a corporation that has more than one owner. And the other are things you should be thinking about if you're a partnership or LLC that has more than one owner. And uh, I'm happy to share this uh, memo that we often send out to our clients with anyone. And again, at the end, Kyle will tell you how to get it. Yeah, the basic, uh, basic groundwork there, Kyle. Appreciate that. And people should take the time to get the agreements right. And it is often that you'll see, hey, two individuals decided to start a business, whatever it is, and they become successful. And then we take a look at the, the agreements and flimsy might be a good way to describe them and they don't really have appropriate language in there in case somebody dies right a good example of that would be uh, i met a guy who ran a private credit fund and he had a couple of partners and it sounded like a pretty good fund actually he had pretty good returns and had secured property against all of the liens and all that and at the end of the day i said well what happens if you die and he said well 
you know, go to my interest would go to my wife. And I said, well, does your wife do anything in this business? He's like, no. And I said, well, I don't really want to have all my clients money managed by your wife if you're not available. So you need to get your agreement set up. So that type of thing comes into play, right? Well, you know, Kyle, I think you really raised a real good point here because one of the biggest things is uh, I might start a business with one or two people that I know and I trust. Uh, I may know their, their spouses, and I may say they have very nice spouses, but I've decided to be in business with, with these particular individuals. Uh, I have not decided to be in business with their spouses. And so mm-hmm. if they die or if they become disabled or something, there should be something that says, you know, I love you guys and you've got a great family, but this business uh, does not have, in a sense, room for your family in it. It's for you. And we need a, a mechanism to buy you out appropriately to be sure the family is treated fairly, but to be sure I'm not stuck with a partner or a co-shareholder that I really don't want to be stuck with. Yeah, absolutely. So we spend a lot of time on that, and I'm sure you do as well. I want to kind of pivot to the tax stuff here and some of the other considerations, Chuck. And in the context of the conversation with business entities, there's different time periods for different owners, right? You got the the person who's looking to start the business and they're looking at starting their first entity, you know, depending on chances are the revenue is pretty small at that particular moment in time, but they may have big grand ideas for the business, in which case they should spend some more time and you get what you pay for in this world. But primarily, I think a lot of this conversation is going to focus on hey, existing business owners that either the business is evolving in such a way that they need to take on new partners, uh, they have new business lines, and they're thinking about restructuring in that capacity. You know, hey, do the structures still work for you in your current format with regards to what you have going on in your business? And then finally, hey, at the end of the day, you may be looking to exit. And is your business structure really the right business structure at that moment in time? So with that in mind, I want to hit something. Chuck and I had talked about this podcast a couple of days ago. And he made a comment to me uh, and we were chatting about S-Corps and I see a lot of S-Corps. That's a pretty predominant entity structure. And let's talk about who should own an S-Corp, Chuck, because I think I see S-Corps. I know personally we had an S-Corp and we had to get out of that. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. So let's set the stage for like, who's an S-Corp for? Because I think sometimes it's not necessarily the right entity for certain companies. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you, Kyle. And I I think actually uh, the comment that I had made that uh, you found sort of interesting uh, and you asked me to explain it is I said, I generally do not take S corporations to dinner. That's right. Uh, They are not my dinner guests. That's right. And we do have a lot of clients, by the way, that do have S corporations. And um, they were set up years ago. And by the way, once you set up a corporation and it has value in it, Often the value comes from going concern value or goodwill that's been built up in the business. You just can't liquidate it and get rid of it without paying tax on that value. So it's not easy if you have an S corporation, you say, gee, I wish I were an LLC. Uh, You just can't become an LLC and go forward basis without paying a bunch of tax. So a lot of stuff we do is take look at S corporation structures and how to try to uh, make them a little bit more palatable in the long run. But let's, let's, let's talk, first of all, about why I say, and sort of jokingly, but with a lot of serious to it, sort of joking on the square, why well, I don't take S-corporations to dinner. 
because S corporations could be great. If you want flow through treatment, they get you flow through treatment, meaning flow through, meaning there's only one level of tax. You're not paying tax twice like you would in a C corporation where you pay tax on the C corporation income. And if you distribute a dividend, there's another tax to be paid by the shareholder. You don't have that in most cases in an S corporation. But the problem with S corporations is one is, I think you were sort of leading me to Kyle, is first of all, there are limits to who can own an S corporation. It could be an individual. It could be certain types of trusts. They're called esbits and quists and grantor trusts. But a partnership can't own an S corporation. A person who's not a U.S. resident can't own one. Another corporation can't own one. So you're, you're limited. And if you're looking for, for instance, infusions of capital into your S corporation to grow it, and the infuser is a corporation, well, you're going to need to use some fancy planning to get that corporation to invest without losing your S corporation status. And I'll get into that in a little bit, a little bit later. So that's one of the problems with S corporations. Uh, another one is very often you start a business, it's got earlier losses, or even later on, you may have losses in your business, unfortunately. Uh, now, losses can be deducted by the shareholder, but those losses are deducted to the shareholder's basis in the S corporation stock. And basis comes from an infusion of capital. But often, where do losses, how are losses often covered? Losses are often covered through debt. You go to Friendly Bank, Friendly Bank says, sure, I think you've got a good business, but I need to see you need some money. Here, you borrow the money. Let's assume even personally guarantee the debt. That debt's covering your losses. In an S corporation, though that debt, even if you personally guarantee it, is not included in the basis that you have for your S corporation. And therefore, those losses are not deductible. Whereas if this were a partnership or an LLC, when you go to the friendly bank and borrow money there, that debt forms part of your basis for your partnership or your LLC interest, and therefore allows you to deduct those losses subject to certain other limitations, but at least you have basis to take those losses. That's another problem. Or I throw out another problem with the S corporation. Uh, one of the worst things you can do is have real estate held in an S corporation. All right, well, why is that? Well, how do you often dispose of real estate? Well, you sell it. Okay, if you sell it, it generates gain. That gain gives you basis, and you can pull out the cash that you got when you sell it. Well, that works fine. But what's another common way you cash in on real estate? You often cash in on real estate, and a lot of our clients do. So real estate goes up in value, and you go to friendly bank, and you say, hey, I bought this property for a million dollars. My rent roll is greatly increased. It's now worth $7 million. Will you loan me some money against them? They say, sure, you got a lot of equity there. I'll loan you $2 million. Well, the loan's coming in now to the S corporation. But what do you want to do with that loan? Well, you want to pull it out. You want to go buy that yacht or buy it into a new business or do something that S corporation is not involved in. Well, that debt, again, is not included in your basis. So when you pull that money out to do something else with it, you're going to pay tax on it because that cash distribution exceeds the basis for your S shares. So you're telling me right there, hang on, let's make a point there. I borrowed money against my real estate that's in my S corp. And ordinarily, if I borrow money that's a loan, I don't pay tax and I pull it out of that S corp, it's now taxable? Exactly. Ouch. That's exactly right. Whereas if it's a partnership, because that loan 
forms part of the basis for your interest in that escort in a partnership with the LLC, you can pull that money out and do with it as you please. And there's a lot of clients who've acquired some really nice real estate going up greatly in value. They've borrowed against it. They can never sell this because they have to pay the borrowing back. They're going to have to hold this real estate until they die. When you get a step up in basis for your assets equal to their fair market value, but which is fine. They've had huge amount of debt taken out over the years. They've done whatever they want with that debt. They have plenty of money to cut to keep that debt current. But meanwhile, they haven't paid tax and probably never will pay tax on a lot of that money they pulled out of the partnership. So that's another key reason why S corporations are not invited to dinner by me generally. Uh, yeah, uh, go ahead, Kyle. On that, you and I have been discussing a case that I think is dead on that real estate piece, and it has multiple partners. Is the uh, the client has nephews and nieces, and uh, another relative is a partner. So there's seven of them in it. There's a property in there. It's just real estate, and frankly, she's tired of the headaches of getting out of of just managing the S-Corp and managing the personalities in the partnership, or I mean in the S-Corp, and they're going to sell this property. And, you know, one option they have is they could 1031 it, but then they still remain in that S-Corporation and she still has to deal with all the people. And breaking that apart is the problem, right? So to sell the property and distribute the money, they have to pay all the tax. Right. So there's, exactly. there's conflicting goals there, right? So it's to your point, hey, we got to think about these things, get it right the first time, because in your, you know, what you're talking about is over a long period of time with an escort, the problems just compound and it gets harder and harder to exit. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. One of the hardest things is, you know, taking, when you take, let's assume you have an S corporation, it's got, you know, three or four shareholders and one shareholder wants to leave and that's fine. If the person's retiring, you want to buy their interest out. Okay. So let's assume you're, you buy their stock interest in the S corporation. Well, all right, where, where are you going to, let's assume the S corporation is going to do the buy. Where does it get the money from? Well, it gets the money from money that it's retained in the corporate corporation. Now, that's tax paid dollars. That money goes out. There is no reconciliation inside the corporation in a sense. So if you got property worth a million dollars in the S corporation, and you take out a shareholder and you pay, let's say it's a one quarter, 25% shareholder, you take them out with money that's in that corporation. The, that property sitting in the corporation, let's assume it has a zero tax basis. If it's sold, you still got a million dollars of, of, of gain that you'd have to pay tax on. The fact that you actually took 250000 and took the other partner out doesn't help the remaining partners in reducing the gain they're going to have to recognize on that property sold, even though the person they took out had to pay tax on the money he received. Whereas in a partnership, if you take a partner out and that partner, let's assume he had no basis and he got $250,000 of cash, he's going to have to pay tax on 250, which is right. He should pay tax on what he gets over his basis. But in a partnership, there's an election you can make to take that 250 of gain that was recognized by the partner who went out and increase the basis of the property sitting in the partnership. So when that property is sold for a million dollars, 
instead of having a basis of zero and gain of a million to be shared by the remaining three partners, now that property has a basis of 250000 and the gain recognized is only seven fifty, dollars as opposed to a million dollars. In a sense, the partners get credit for the gain that was recognized by the partner who went out, by the partner who went out, which you don't get in the case of an S-corporation. So one of the hardest things in an S-corporation is taking out an owner in a way that's tax efficient to the remaining owners. Well, that's a very complex problem that you described and probably more frequent than we would all like to admit that partnerships do break up and or s corporations you know people people that are in business decide to split ways and how do you do it and what you're describing is hey a partnership may be more flexible than an s corp in that regard exactly well, another issue there you have too is property sitting in a, a partnership I, mean, I say partnership by the way i mean llc or vice versa vis-a-vis uh, -vis an s corporation Let's assume you have property in a partnership. One of the partners wants to leave. He says, I don't need cash. I just, I'll take some of that property sitting in here. Well, the partnership rules are set up in most cases that that property can go out to the partner who's leaving and there's not a taxable event. He doesn't pay tax on that property. Again, in most cases, there are exceptions. And the partnership doesn't pay tax. Whereas an S corporation, if property comes out and it has value in excess of its basis, there's gain generated at the partnership level, and there's going to be gain generated at the individual level. So the flexibility in taking property out is a huge advantage to dealing or having a business operated in partnership slash LLC format as opposed to S corporation format. Oh, absolutely. And that's why the general, uh, the general advice out there is, hey, put your real estate into an LLC versus an S-Corp, hands down. Let's pivot here because we for time purposes, you know, another aspect to the business entity structure. And speaking from a personal standpoint, uh, running this business, Centura, in 2018, we hired Chuck. We got advised by our CPA to contact Chuck because we had some issues personally in our own organization of bringing on additional partners. And we were in an S-Corp. And fortunately, we were referred to Chuck and he solved it through various means. But we had, here were some of the challenges we were facing. One was, hey, how do we bring new partners on? We also had a partner that was exiting. And there's some limitations with S corporation. You can't have different shares of stock and things of that nature. We needed more flexibility. And additionally, the tax cuts and jobs act had passed, which created a one ninety nine a deduction, which we were also considering. And so we were fortunate to find Chuck and he helped us out in that regard. And so let's chat through that a little bit um, from a business standpoint, like, Hey, what's the disadvantage of an S-Corp when you want to bring on partners? <laughs> okay, you, you raised lots of good things, Kyle. And uh, the problem with S-Corporations also is you can only have one class of stock. Uh, and what that means, you can have voting and non-voting stock. But in an S-Corporation, each share of stock has to have the same claim on S-Corporation assets as any other share of stock. Whereas in a partnership, you have no such 
you have no such restriction. So in many cases, and I think it was also in, in your case, Kyle, what the owners wanted to do is they had some key employees and they wanted to bring these key employees into the business and give them an equity percentage in the business. But, you know, the business had value. And if they were to buy into the business, that would be expensive. And uh, many firms are generous and they say, we don't really want this person to have to buy into the business. And if we give them a share of the business and it has value, they're going to be taxed on it. We don't want them to be taxed on it. Yeah, is there a way we can make someone an owner of a business and so they don't have to buy in? Uh, they can have a share of the future growth. We're not going to give them a share of the current value of the business if we can, but we don't want them to have to buy in and we don't want them to be taxed. And the answer to this is yes, that's called the profits interest. It's where you get an interest in a business based upon a share of future growth and future income of the business. Now, you can't do that directly in an S-corporation because an S-corporation can only have one share of stock, one, one class of stock. And here, if some of the shares of stock have a claim on the current value of the company, and a new person getting shares has no claim on the current value, just on growth, those are stock with different claim on assets. Doesn't work. Whereas in a partnership, there's absolutely no problem doing that whatsoever. The IRS has issued what's called revenue procedures, a statement of how the law will be administered in a way that facilitates bringing partners in in that exact circumstance. So the question is, how do you do this if you have an S-corporation? Well, there is a way to do it. Uh, it's something that, that, that uh, Centura took advantage of. And that's called, what they do is you drop your business down. So you've got an S-corporation. It takes its business and it drops it down into a lower tier, into a partnership. And that's a tax-free transaction. And now it has a partnership. And now it can bring people or partners or key employees in as profits, interest partners of that partnership, not owners of the upper tier, the partner parent, as corporation, but they're partners of this newly created partnership, and they can get an interest in future growth and future income without it being taxable to them. Now, one of the problems often you have in that, though, is often you can't move your business down. If it's subject to, uh, like uh, Centura's business, it's a wealth management business, it's subject to uh, FINRA rules. It's a governing organization, federal governing organization. And if they move the business down, which is made up a lot of contracts they have with their clients, they would have to get all these new contracts signed. And they said, we can't possibly go to all our clients and get these contracts signed. Is there another way to do it to create a partnership vehicle so we can bring in key employees on a tax advantage basis? And the answer is yes. And that's what's called a corporate inversion transaction. And the way you do that is the owners of the S-corporation take their S-corporation stock and they contribute it to a new S-corporation. So now this new S-corporation owns this existing entity. Existing entity didn't move at all. All right. You make what's called a Q-sub election. You make an election for this now subsidiary entity, which again hasn't moved to be treated under the federal tax law as a disregarded entity. You then merge it into 
a newly formed LLC. It's one way to do it. There's a couple ways to do it. And now what you have is this business, which hasn't moved, doesn't need to have new contracts signed. Very easy to do because all this happened by operation of law by merger is now a partnership or LLC entity into which you can bring these people, these key employees who you want to admit without having to buy in, and they can get an interest in the future growth and future value of this company and future income. And we do this an an awful lot uh, when we have a C-corporation structure that needs to be creatively handled. And I throw that out for your consideration. Now, if you're an LLC in the first place, you don't have to worry about all that. And there's all kinds of issues that go beyond what we can cover today as to what happens if you are an LLC and there's some, I mean, are S corporation. Are there various things you can do to minimize the disadvantage of being an S corporation? That's a, that's a whole, a whole another discussion, which we don't have time for today. But let me throw out very one key point to you people who had S corporations there. This is something brand new. It's something you should have your advisor look at right away. If you were, uh, there's a lot of LLCs which elect to have elected to be S corporations. The reason being they were told that they can deal with self-employment tax a lot easier. They can pay less uh, Medicare tax than they can if they're a partnership or LLC. And therefore, be an LLC, you might want to be one for credit protection purposes, but elect S status. Okay. Now, according to the IRS, and I have a conversation I deal a lot with the National Office of the IRS. They told me a number of years ago that they estimate there's $500,000 S-corporations out there that were LLCs that elected to be S-corporations that are really not S-corporations and they don't know it. The reason being is being an LLC, their attorney just went into his file and took out an LLC operating agreement. And that operating agreement had some language in it, which is not permissible if you're a S-corporation. It says you follow capital accounts on liquidation. And if you have that language, even though you think you're an S-corporation, you are not really an S-corporation. Now, the IRS just a couple of months ago came out with a procedure. You might want to take this down. Revenue Procedure 2022-19. They told me personally years ago they were coming out with this, but a procedure that an S corporation can follow if it was an LLC, had a bad agreement, as I described, and made an S election to fix it without having to go in from a, to get a ruling from the IRS that you're a valid S corporation. And ruling costs about $30,000. They don't want to give them. This revenue procedure is not perfect. The IRS did not do the job it should have on this procedure. I am personally trying to track the IRS down. I know their national office to see if they plan to fix it. But any of you out there that are S corporations, that were that you're an LLC format, be sure to talk to your CPA and your attorney to see whether or not you have one of these bad agreements that potentially can be fixed by this revenue procedure. And if you don't, how you might take this thing forward. Very important point to remember. Revenue Procedure 2002-19. I feel like I'm sitting in the audience at the tax forum, Chuck. We're (laughs) right there, my friend. This is one of the key points of the year. I'm sure everyone goes back and checks these because, again, the IRS told me they think there's a half a million of them out there. 
That's a big number. That's a lot of people. How can they track them down? Right. That's the hard part, I think. Well, one, one, the way a, a CPA, we tell CPAs the way you track these things down is look for your clients who are filing a return, and the name of the client is Jones LLC or Smith or whatever is LLC. Right. If it's LLC in the name, you know right away you better check the operating agreement. Fair. Well, Chuck, you and I could sit here and geek out on some of this stuff for hours. And unfortunately, we're running short on time here. A lot of great information was just communicated. It is heady. It is, in some instances, probably more meat on the bone than some people may care to hear about. But I think the the message is clear. There's a lot of complexity with regards to pass-through entities and the way that you would should uh, or desire to structure your business such that you can take advantage of all of these different circumstances and not find yourself in a snare wishing you had done it differently from the get-go or had pivoted at some point in uh, the evolution of your business such that you can eliminate some of these snags. And so, well-articulated, Chuck, as usual. Eric, what, what questions do you have over there for us? This was, I think you said heady. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, we could ask questions for the rest of the afternoon. Um, I, I think that my main question is, is how do people get a hold of Chuck? And um, how do they get a hold of those resources? Because a- anybody who's looking at this is going to have to take time. I mean, this is not something that anybody can rush. They need to take time to, to rewind this podcast, listen to it again, uh, get the resources and reach out. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and, and, and kind of the, some of the, you know, Chuck and I were talking about the podcast and like, who's the listening audience. And, you know, we talked about the level of sophistication that we might chat about here. And I said, you know what? We don't want to go super deep, but mm-hmm. in the same context, we need to hit enough salient points that people understand, man, I, I really do need to find the right professional to address my situation because it is complex and having people with experience and the wisdom of having done it for 35 years. Yeah. You know, that's invaluable information that well, just, just transcends into a way better result. Well, I mean, and here's the thing is as I was listening to you guys talk about this, I'm a small business owner, but it's just me, right? I can't imagine how stressful it is to have partners in a business and then you don't have it structured correctly. And so you, there's your, your hands are tied on some of the things that you want to do or, you know, as, as the business grows, because when you start a business, you're like, yeah, I'd love for this to grow, but you're not really thinking that far forward That's right. to where, Hey, okay, now it's grown. Now we need to expand. Now we need to do this. And it's like, yeah, you can't, <laughs> you know, because and, and you're le- right. And, and legal zoom didn't tell me this was going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, nobody was there for me, uh, but there is somebody there for him. So uh, again, uh, yeah, I thought this was invaluable. I thought this was a fantastic podcast. Um, let's get people in touch with Chuck and, and his team. Yeah, obviously, as I said, you know, as I said, we have this two day course covering all this and we try to cover this in a little more than, than a half an hour. So I apologize to everyone if said, so I wish he could explain that more. If I had more time, I'd be happy to do so. And there are other issues. You have this, I think you mentioned very briefly, Kyle, this 199A. That's a great section. Came into being in 2018 and allows, in the right circumstance, 
flow through entity owners to take 20% off the top. If you make $100,000, you pay tax on 80. And there are various structures you need to be able to facilitate that. And that that's going to be in the law for three more years. It's, it's around till at least the end of 25, and who knows if they're going to extend it. We really haven't had a chance to get into how 199A works or uh, various structures to minimize self-employment tax without having to make an SLX. Very often yep. professionals say, you know, you, you want to be an LLC, but let's make an SLX so you can minimize self-employment tax. Well, there's ways to do it without it and to maximize your 20% off benefit. And again, we don't have time to get into them today. So I mean, I'm really happy to talk to anyone who wants to wants to uh, talk to me. Uh, I, I have these memos as to what you think about if you're a partnership or if you're a S corporation, if anyone would like to have them. You can, you, know, you can call me at the, at, the, at the firm here, 847-509-7700. Ask for Chuck Levin, L-E-V-U-N. Uh, or uh, you could email me. My email is levin again, L-E-V-U-N, at L-G-C, which is Levin Goodman and Cohn, L-G-C-L-A-W.com. I'm happy to send you uh, one or both of these memos talking about the non-tax issues you should focus on when you have these entities. And also throwing out a little extra, if you'd like it, uh, I have the opportunity, this is just published in Taxes Magazine, but it's not a tax piece. Just last month, it talks about our programs, uh, how they started and how I actually started getting interested in tax. And then it has what I call two of my warm stories and our program is so technical, we like to tell jokes and have stories, and we started a warm story contest. And two of those are published in this in this article that was published last month in Texas Magazine. So if anyone would like to have that, likewise, call me or email me, and I'm happy to, to send you a copy. And uh, again, I wish we could spend all day on this, but we can't. I really appreciate, uh, uh, Kyle, you inviting me to this program. It's great. Uh, you guys are great. We enjoy working together. And uh, again, thank you very much. Thanks for coming on here today, Chuck. As you guys can tell, he is a wealth of knowledge and an expert, which is why we bring him on. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, Kyle, is that the, the, the other thing that struck me is um, there's always rule changes. There's always law changes. Always. I've, I've been on this journey with you guys, with, with Centura, listening to you guys talk about all the different things that you keep your finger on the pulse of um, and bring to your clients, bring to the audience. Uh, and you've discussed many, many tax law changes and rule changes and all these different things that that the layperson or the business owner, we don't have time for that. We don't have time to, to research a ta tax code change or, or all these different things. Um, so I appreciate what you do. If folks are listening to this going, okay, well, this is just scratching the surface of what I need to do for my business or, or for my family's legacy. Um, they need to reach out to you. How do they get a hold of your team? Well, you can go to CenturaWealth.com or you can call the office 858-771-9500. Uh, just call us up or email us. You'll get us. You know where to find us. Yep. We're not hard. Not hard to find. And there's tons of podcasts. Go back and listen to a lot of the other podcasts. You'll get a wealth of information. Yep. Gentlemen, again, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And as always, our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the team comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. 
Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.